can get into our heart and we speak it out of our mouth. And um, I believe one of the ploys of the enemy is to try and pollute the message of the gospel or the message of what God has delivered unto us. And one of the reasons the enemy tries to do that is so it depletes the power of the message. And one thing he's worked very hard at is money, the thought of money. And the enemy has tried to come and say, money, bad. And even to the point in the Middle Ages, there was this doctrine that was released, I believe a doctrine of demons, that humility is connected with how least amount of money you have. And so the enemy has come to try and rob the church of the power of the message that was delivered unto the church. But I believe God is going to absolutely smash the enemy's thinking and the enemy's ploys in that area. And my phone's just gone off my uh, face ID. Right, got it. Okay. So it's interesting. I began to look up the um, Greek word. I can, I can hack up English words, can't I, Tim, let alone the Greek words. Um, so the Greek word for salvation is S-O-T-E-R-I-R-A. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce it. Um, but that is the Greek word for salvation. So when we're born again, we get a package deal given unto us. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us and he gives us a package deal. And that word... You know, I, I studied theology a few years ago and I discovered that every Greek and every Hebrew word, there wasn't a related English word to describe it. There was often a combination of many words to describe the meaning of the one Greek or the one Hebrew word. And this word, S-O-T-E-R-I-A, has the meaning of deliverance, preservation, Welfare, soundness, restoration, prosperity, safety and healing. So one of the key elements of our salvation is prosperity. No wonder the enemies work so hard to discredit money. And I tell you something, people say to you, money's bad. No, the love of it can be bad, but Money in the hands of a righteous person doing the right thing, money good. <laughs> That's the message. If money controls you, it's bad. If you control money, it's good. And I had an interesting experience in God about 20 years ago. I was, you know, I, there's so much poverty around us. And I said, Lord, I want to be the biggest giver in the South Pacific. I kept saying it to God and I couldn't believe it. God spoke to me so uh, strongly asked me. I thought, oh my gosh. I, I said, Lord, I'm talking about bigger than, than even America, bigger than even Australia or New Zealand. I want to be the biggest giver in the South Pacific. He said, ask me. Do you know it took me half an hour before I could answer him? Because I thought, what does this mean? Watch this space. <laughs> I said to God, Make me the biggest giver 
in the South Pacific. I want to, I've got dreams. I want to go, sometimes I lay in bed at night, I see seaplanes landing in remote islands, carrying the gospel, not the, um, not this religious, I won't say what just popped into my mind, religious sea, whatever, uh, rubbish, but a full gospel of deliverance to the islands. And I see, I see great things. I see me, myself walking into a village with $180,000 in my pocket that I could buy this young preacher a truck and deck it out with a canopy and put seats in it so he can go and pick up all the people that are in remote places to get the gospel. I see myself doing it. What do you see yourself doing? You know, there was a guy that worked for us at NCTC and he always said to me, I just want enough to put food on my plate for every day. Then I'll worry about tomorrow. And I used to yuck me, you know, one of those things that gets in your spirit, you think, oh, this is horrible. What a selfish attitude. I want to have enough. You know, my dream is to live off 2% of my income and give the rest away and to live well. If I've got trillions of dollars to give away, I don't care if I live off 1% or 0.0005%. How big's your dream? How big's your vision? I love talking to Gavin. God gave him a key. Breed dogs, sell it for missions. I thought, what a God, God thing. God can do things like that for us. God can do anything for us. But we have to change our thinking. I've got, to do, I've got to remember to put my finger on this thing. God is wanting to change our thinking. And so many religious and poverty spirits have got into the church and polluted the gospel. I tell you, I know all about poverty and religious spirits. I can give you a list of them. But God wants us to change our thinking. And I was watching something on TV. And uh, it was a, about a scientist were looking at the thoughts of people and they were testing those people to see what happens to the body when they think certain things. And I was fascinated by it because positive thoughts brought positive chemicals in the body of a person to receive what that thought was telling them. And negative thoughts brought negative chemicals in that body to receive the negative thing that the thought brought. And I thought, how powerful is our thoughts? How powerful is our words? I hear myself saying, oh, I can't go on broke today. And I think, shut up, Marion. Sometimes we've got to, you know, the Bible says to get a it says to captivate, and I often think of it as being a cowboy with a big noose. Get a hold of that thought, pull it in and throw it out. Sometimes we've got to captivate our thoughts. And we've got to think kingdom business. <laughs> and I tell you, God is going to do the greatest transfer of wealth that this universe has ever known. And it's coming into the hands of people who have been faithful with the little might who have got kingdom business on their heart. Watch out. Watch this space. God's going to do something great, but our minds, our thinking has to change. 
over in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. This is in the Living Translation. Don't copy the behaviour and customs of the world. I'll add the church as well in some incidences, instance. But let God conform you into a new person by changing the way you think. <laughs> How can we be transformed? By this, change the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. What is good and pleasing and perfect. It starts off with thinking. Now I know scientifically those good thoughts produce good chemicals that react with the thoughts that help the thing get done. How powerful is that? And some scientists just woke up to it. It's been in the book all the time. So I just want to encourage you and me. I was talking to me more than anyone. Just get your lasso out. And any time a thought comes that's poverty, and you know poverty and religion go together. They're the twins from hell. Like, man, I could give you some incidences of that. And, and it, it, it stinks. <laughs> And actually, I can smell it. It's like rotten fish. And, it, and it, it's horrible that, oh, I, the martyr, oh, I'm so poor, but I love Jesus anyway. You know, I love what Chris O'Dollar says. I've been broke and I've been rich. And I, he says, I like being rich better. <laughs> and I tell you, we need to get our thinking in line with the gospel. That is our inheritance. Prosperity is an inheritance of our salvation. It's a package deal. Not only are our sins delivered from us, not only are we washed in the blood, but we've been given prosperity. And in these last days, I'll tell you something. God's going to put big wealth. Don't ask me how. I have no idea how. That's God's business. But I know one thing, great transformation of wealth is coming and I tell you the dreams I've had of going into those islands with big money in my pocket it's so crazy it's got to be God sometimes I wake up seeing seaplanes landing in a remote village and sometimes I wake up and I'm in a I'm in a place and you know some young fella says I say how much for that truck 150,000 no 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 Let's go down to the showroom. That one, 220. Let's buy that one. I have these dreams. What sort of dreams do you have? Lord, just let me have enough food on my plate for today and I'll worry about tomorrow. You know the sad thing about that? The person that told me that, 20 years later, that's exactly how they've ended up. I would say they're living in extreme poverty. They have enough food for that day and nothing more. You get what you believe for. So I just want to challenge you today. Challenge you to think in line with the gospel. Think bigger than you've ever done. Because I'll tell you something, it's going to cost trillions of dollars to get the gospel through this world. Reality is, you know how churches like this isn't going to be big enough to handle the great influx that's coming. We're going to need to rent out stadiums. We're going to need lots of lots of money to get things done. 
can God trust you or you just want enough food for today? Just want to stretch your thinking a bit. Sometimes I have to pull my thinking in sometimes. But I tell you, you need to stretch your thinking. I need to stretch my thinking because I want to be a person that has the resources to bless the kingdom. I intend to subsidize revival throughout the islands. That's what I intend to. Many others will too, but I intend to be one of them and I'm going to be the biggest giver. What's your heart saying to you? Just want to leave it there. like a good challenge? Ha. Oh. Now, I usually have a, a title for a message that, um, that I'm speaking. And uh, I don't have one. I don't know if that, that means I don't know where I'm going or... or, or no. Got some thoughts. You know, I've, I've heard a little bit recently about um, thankfulness and the importance of, of, of being thankful. And, you know, if, if you really put that on your radar and go through your day and the interactions that you have with, with people, um, often it's something that's so lacking, thankfulness. The things that we can be thankful for, that we just look over and don't even consider, and we focus on these little little negative things. Thankfulness. Ah, glory to God. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just praise that uh, as. The word is spoken this morning, Lord, that you would target it and touch hearts as you will. By your Holy Spirit, you can tailor a word, package it, and land it, and, uh, and it can be for, for, for different people with different things. So, Father, I just present this to you this morning. Lord, I ask that you speak through me, and, uh, and Lord, that, uh, that your will would be done within it. Hallelujah. Amen. Um, I've been around here for a little while, not as long as some of the other people in the room. And uh, we used to sing some really interesting songs back in the day. Back in the day. Um, and there was a song that we used to sing. Um, <laughs> I suppose I could sing it for you, could <laughs> it went like this. Um, <clears throat> um, <laughs> Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound, for they shall walk, shall walk, O oh Lord, in the light of his countenance. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. Oh, look at there, they all are there. <laughs> And you know, 
when, when I first got, I was 22 years old in this church, we were singing this song, and a you know, happy song, and I've got no idea what I'm singing. What on, what on earth is this joyful sound? Well, it was a joyful sound. I thought, oh, it's a joyful sound. Well, yeah, that's, that's good. We'll sing the joyful sound. No idea. And, um, you know, about 10 years in, uh, on our 10th wedding anniversary, uh, my good wife gave me an Amplified Bible. And I'm just reading through Amplified Bible. And that song, it's from Psalms. Those words are from Psalms. And I got to the Amplified Bible, Psalm 89 and verse 15. And I read this. Blessed, in brackets, happy, fortunate, to be envied are the people who know the joyful sound. And then it's got a bracket after it. And it says, who understand and appreciate the spiritual blessings symbolized by the feasts. For they shall walk, O Lord, in the light and favor of your countenance. I thought, that's what it means. The sound was the sound of the trumpet that would call God's people, Israel, to these different feasts. And they were feasts that they had to, they were required to, under the law, they were required to present themselves. And they were feasts, they were, they were joyful gatherings. It was a commandment, <laughs> joyful gatherings. There was a thankfulness in the feasts because of the understanding that these people had of what they, what they symbolised. And those feasts are symbolic in the Old Testament of experiences that we can have in God now in the New Testament church. Now, this is not a study on the, on the feasts of, um, of Israel, but they are in Leviticus chapter 23. And there are seven feasts that are, are, um, are listed there. There was Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, and they came as a as a package, bang, 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 over a period of eight, nine days, something like that. Fifty days later, there was the feast of Pentecost, which is often called the feast of uh, of weeks, because it was seven Sabbaths, and then the next day, fifty days after Passover, and then there's a group of of um, of feasts, trumpets. Atonement, Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And they were a group, and they were a number of months later. But that speaks to us of a progression of submission to the will and purpose of God. And it also speaks of, a, of, a, of an intimacy, a, a growing intimacy in relationship with God. Now we know that Passover is the is the first feast that um, was recognised um, in the law, but there's a shadow. There's a there's a type that came way before the law, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before the law, of the provision that God makes, and He's pretty good at providing. And there is always a sacrifice involved in there. 
You know, you can go right back to the very beginning when God clothed Adam and Eve um, in skins. You know, they tried to do the fig leaf um, thing. I don't, you know, that, that wouldn't have worked for, um, for very long because, you know, fig leaves, they get all um, dry and brittle and that, that would not have worked at all, you know. <laughs> but, but God provided skins for Adam and Eve. Well, he didn't get them out of nowhere. There were a couple of animals that, um, that um, made the ultimate sacrifice for, for that clothing. But that's right in the very beginning. But before the law, in, in Genesis chapter 22, I'm going to um, go there. Genesis chapter 22, it's the time of um, Abraham offering up Isaac. And you think, wow. Why did God why did God ask Abraham to do that? <laughs> but it is such a, a type and a shadow of of what God was ultimately going to do. And Genesis chapter twenty two and uh, and it's it, God was confirming Abraham's faith. God was confirming that Abraham totally totally trusted God with everything, his most precious, <laughs> the son of promise that he'd waited so long for. <laughs> and uh, and uh, verse 5, and Abraham said to the young men, so there was a company of them, stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder to worship and we will come back to you. <laughs> so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it <clears throat> on his son Isaac and he took fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, son. Then he said, Look, here's the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Abraham was fully engaged in what God had told him to do and he was going to do what God had said but he was believing for a resurrection for his son because he said to the others the lad and I are going yonder to worship but we will come back we will come back to you and there's such a type in this Isaac was Abraham's only son and you say, well, Abraham had other sons. He was the son of promise. He was the one that he was supposed to have. Isaac was Abraham's only son. Jesus was God's only son. John 1.14, the only begotten of the father. The wood was laid on Isaac's back. Jesus was made to carry his cross, says in John 19, verse 17. Now, Simon of Cyrene carried the cross, but in, uh, in John um, 19, verse 17, uh, it says that Jesus carried his cross. And that could have, could have been speaking figuratively. He was carrying the load, the cross, that God had given him to carry, and that was the sins um, of, uh, of the whole world. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb. <laughs> and uh, 
1 Peter 2.23 says, Jesus bore our sins in his own body. Yes, God did provide for himself a lamb. He provided himself. (laughs) He provided himself because Christ was the only one who could do that. He was the only sinless, spotless, blemishless offering that could have been made for sin. And we know through Old Testament that the, 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 the animals that were offered in that time, they had to be perfect. They could have no blemish. They had to be the best of the best. <laughs> and that's what God did. He gave the best of the best for us. But the Passover in itself was celebrated and it was celebrated yearly after the, the, the children of Israel came out of Egypt in such a powerful way. And they came out, the Passover, we know that there was a, a, a lamb that was um, to be offered and the blood was to be put on the uh, lintel and the doorposts. And that was a sign during that 10th plague that the death angel would pass over and not touch whoever was in that household. (laughs) Everybody else, good luck. (laughs) The firstborn of, of, um, of everything in the land was died. So the Passover celebrated God's deliverance because they were coming out of Egypt and the escape from God's judgment. There was judgment involved. In, in that process. And there is judgment as a result of sin. There is judgment. There will be judgment. The Bible talks about it very clearly. You know, it is the lion and the lamb. It's the, it's the lamb of God, but it's the lion of the tribe of Judah who's coming back. <laughs> and, um, and I said last week, God is just. So that means that his justice is right. And there will be justice. And sometimes we look at, at, at situations and you think, well, they're getting away with things. Well, no, not ultimately. There will be justice. Everything will be paid for. Everything will be paid for. There is nothing that will go unattended. And that, so everybody has that choice. They wait for the end and, and, and the judgment that, that is coming or they accept the judgment that was put upon Jesus just as the, as the, as the death angel passed over. <laughs> and, and nobody in the house was touched. It's the same process that as we have Jesus Christ living in our hearts, that the judgment has been taken and we don't experience that. It's it's. It's been dealt with. That sin has been dealt with. Are we grateful for eternal salvation? (laughs) We have all done this at different stages. All done this. that yes, we've accepted Jesus Christ, we have that eternal salvation, we have that hope of eternity before us, and, and 
all the good things that are spoken regarding that. And we have that salvation now that we can actually walk in that. We can actually walk in that salvation. You know, Marion was saying, Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do we agree with what God has said regarding our salvation? Or do we put it off for one day in the by and by? Is there, is there an experience that we can experience now in this life? So all that, that's in our, in our, our salvation. And look, is there anybody in the room that's never had an issue or a problem? No hands, good. We've all got issues. Whatever, however they might, whatever manifestation that might be. We've all got stuff that God is working out of our life. And, you know, we all have situations that can be big and that can be, you know, they, they can be devastating situations in the, in the, in the time that, that we experience them. Yes, we all have that. And, and, and that's, that's life in a broken world. Hello. But, you know, there's a lot of other stuff. There's a lot of other stuff that takes too much of a prominence in our life. And you might, you, you could think of, you know, you, you've, you haven't got the telly remote and, and, you know, there's a show that you want to watch and you can't because somebody else is watching and you get cranky. Hello. You know. For me, yeah, sometimes I'm having a good round of golf and I'll pop one out of bounds and there's a two-stroke penalty and I get really cranky. Well, well, really? Really? Or four-putt. That's not so good. But really, there are little things, little prods of the enemy maybe, maybe, there are little things that have too much, we give them too much airtime. There's too much prominence. And where's our thought of our eternal salvation when we're, when we're presented with, can I say it, meaningless stuff? Meaningless stuff. Just take a time out through your day and just remember what God has given. An ungrateful heart, an ungrateful heart is an unfeeling, unloving, unbelieving, and disobedient heart. And I believe that's, you know, that's, that's an unsaved heart. But gratitude, gratitude. We've just got to keep that to the forefront of our thinking. The salvation that God has given us. Man. So there's our, our Passover experience is, is asking Jesus Christ to come and live in our heart, to forgive us of our sins.
we are washed by the blood of the Lamb. And that's the entry point to the kingdom of God. It is the entry point. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to, you're going to live in a new house, you don't stand in the doorway and never move from that position. There's a whole house. I mean, you, you go through the door and you're thankful that the front door is there. Always be thankful that your front door is there. But, but that's, not, that's not the end point. That's our beginning. And look, I'm learning more about what God has given me through salvation every day. It's becoming a greater reality. I'm seeing things now than you know, the, however many years after I asked Jesus to come into my heart. A lot of years. Um, it's, it's becoming more real. And it's becoming uh, something that I I'm, I'm, can take and live out more consistently on a daily basis. So that revelation is going to continue. But then there was another, another feast, 50 days afterwards, and it was the Feast of, of Pentecost. And, and in the Jewish calendar, it was the feast um, that they were to celebrate when they came into their new land and had their first harvest, and it was, it was the first fruits. It was the, it was the initial, here we are, we're in the promised land. And we know that in the New Testament church, the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, on the very day. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, Jesus was sacrificed in that time of the Passover, the natural Jewish Passover, because he was the Passover lamb. He was the lamb that was to be given for the sins of the whole world. Fifty days later, in the natural Jewish calendar, there's the feast of Passover. Fifty days later, Holy Spirit came to those 120 who were in the upper room, waiting for what, whatever God was going to send. Jesus had said, go, wait, Holy Spirit's coming. I thought, great, Holy Spirit's coming. They didn't know what, they didn't know what, was, the, what was going to manifest there. They, they didn't you know, understand the tongues of fire and on, on their heads and speaking in different language. They were just waiting. They were waiting for what God was going to, to bring. So in the natural, it was a celebration of the first fruits of the harvest. And if you'd like to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians and chapter 5, we get the idea here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <laughs> hmm. Paul's actually speaking here about the, the, the assurance of the resurrection. And he's talking about his earthly tent, his body, and what's, uh, what's in front, what's, uh, what's to come. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 1. For we know that in our earthly house, this tent, he's talking about his body, 
if, if our earthly tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. He's talking about his spiritual body, his, his resurrected body, his, his eternal, his um, one that will not corrupt. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Now, I can relate to that one. I did a little bit of um, decking yesterday. And I thought, I'm going to get this job done in, in this day, you know, putting down decking. And, and uh, so I, I made a start when the decking arrived and, and uh, I worked for eight hours. I didn't have a break. I'm going to get this done. I'm going to get this done. I'm going to get this done. I didn't get it done. <laughs> we got most of it done. But, you know, I got home, drove home. And I went to get out of my, my ute, and I thought, how am I going to do this? <laughs> Lyndon was good enough to share with me this morning. He said, well, you're not 30 anymore. <laughs> I thought, yeah, good. <laughs> so that's, uh, yeah, I was, I was for, for in this we groan. Amen. Earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Paul is looking forward to being in the presence of God in a new body and, and living for eternity with him. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. He's given us the Spirit as a guarantee or a down payment, that word means. It's a deposit. We've got the Holy Spirit as a deposit. It's the first fruit of what God is going to produce in us. And there's a passage in, in Romans chapter 8 talking about, um, oh, in verse 23 of, of, of chapter 8, it says, We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, um, good passage to read, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit is the first fruits. It is our Pentecostal experience, if you like, to put it that way. It's, a, it's the next progression that God has made available, and he says, come. This is for you. It's good. Let's turn to Romans chapter 6. With the feasts of Israel, at that time, all the it was a requirement under the under the, the the law given by God that all were to come, all um, males of a certain age were to come to these feasts every year. It was a requirement. It was this is what this is what we do. This is what we need to do. We're living in a period 
of, of grace. Last couple of thousand years, God is so gracious. He is so patient. He's waiting for the fulfillment of the time of the Gentiles. And I, and I suggested it last week. He's waiting for everybody who he knows will accept him to be able to have that time to come to accept him before he comes back. But in that, in that progression, in that, in that time, uh, with the, with the um, people in Israel, yes, they were required. Um, in this time... God puts it out there and says, this is what's available for you. And I want you to come. <laughs> I'm not commanding you to come. I want you to come. I want you to come closer to me. I want you to experience the things that I have that come from my Holy Spirit. And as we get a taste we taste and see that the Lord is good. As we taste and see that the Lord is good, we say, okay, I want more of that. I want more of you, Lord. I want more of what you have available. Romans chapter 6. Uh, I've got a heading in my Bible that starts off, dead to sin, alive to God. But I want to just pick it up in verse um, 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So as, we, as, as um, uh, Bill Johnson um, has said before, Jesus didn't die for us. He died as us. Bill Johnson. He died. Jesus died as us. He took our place. He took our place on that, on that cross. So as we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. I've got a little part in my Bible here. Dead men don't sin. Dead men don't take offense. A body on the ground with no life in it. They're not going to do anything wrong. That time has passed. And they're not going to get offended no matter what name you call them. For he who has died has been freed from sin. That's a continual ongoing revelation that God wants us to understand. And there's a cooperation in that with the Holy Spirit to be able to experience that as a reality in our life. 
It doesn't happen all at once. I'd love it if it would. It doesn't happen all at once. We go through experiences that, that actually test and see where we're up to um, with that. You know, Jesus in Matthew 16, he said, take up your cross and follow me. You know, whoever desires, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So what does it mean to, to, to lose your life? Does it, mean, does it, does it not mean to, to give up control and the guidance of your life to the one who created us? It doesn't mean to be, you know, off with the fairies somewhere and, and, you know, like, you know, so spiritually minded, you know, earthly good. No, it actually means the opposite. It means that you will be so, become so effective because you are being led and guided in, in, in everything that you do by the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we hang on really tight to the little things. We hang on really tight to things that aren't going to promote our life in him. You know, there was, a, there was a young man, rich young ruler that came to Jesus and, uh, and he was presented with this very thing. He was looking for, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you, you do, you know, you know, the, you, know the, you know the law, you do this, 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 this. He said, I've done all these things. I've done it all. What do I still lack? Go and sell all that you have. Give to the poor. Come follow me. And he went away very sad. Now, we don't get to hear any more about that young man. I don't know what his experience was after that. But he was a young man at that, so that point, it says. Well, in 70 AD, the Romans came in and obliterated Jerusalem. They pulled the temple down, stone by stone. And there was a lot of people who died in that, in that, in that time. I don't know. He might have been in there somewhere. But God is all-knowing. He knows the end from the beginning. And sometimes, you know, the rich young ruler might have looked at that and said, no, that's not going to be good for me. God never leads us in something that is not for our good. He is a good, good father. That's who he is. And as a good, good father, he will lead us in things that will ultimately be for our good. All things work together for good to them that, are, that love God, are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean all things are good, but all things work together for good if we're presenting ourselves to God and saying, have your way, Lord. Now, God is the giver of gifts. He gives gifts and they're good gifts. And we could look at the, um, you know, the gifts of the, of the Spirit. And they're for, the, for you know, operation in, in the church, in the body, in the world. Okay? You give somebody a word of knowledge <laughs> that God gives you about them and um, that can get their attention. You lay hands on somebody and, 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 and there's a gift of healing. 
that will get their attention. So those gifts are given of God and they are good. But do you know God is looking for fruit? God is always after fruit. Always. And uh, in Galatians, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit that the Spirit generates within, within our life. Now, gifts are given. Okay? Fruit is produced. So as we cooperate, and when I mean cooperate, I mean submit. As we cooperate with the Holy Spirit daily, he produces within us the character of God. And that's what we give back to him. <laughs> that's what we can give back to him. It's got to be done cooperatively. If you don't cooperate with it, it's not going to happen. But the fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit that the Spirit generates within us. So let's um, read that. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the, of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit or wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so you do not do the things that you wish. And you think, oh, well, you know, I can't do I can't do it, I can't do it. Well, you can't do it if you're trying to do it by yourself. But, that word but, great word. But means... What's just come before is put in its place by what's coming next. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, and there's a great long list of them. Which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, fornication, uncleanness. Oh, I've done, <laughs> read that one twice. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you go through those, um, that list, we can all look at some of the stuff in there and say, oh, yep, yep, that, that was me there, oh, yeah, yep, yep. Yep, fell on that one. Oh, ouch, yeah, okay, that's in my path. <laughs> Verse 22, but, there's another but. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. <laughs> That's what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in each and every believer. 
That's what's available. Where's it from? That's the character of God. They're the attributes of God. Love, joy, peace. I'm glad he's long-suffering because none of us might have made it otherwise. Etc. That's what he's actually producing, wants to produce in us as we cooperate with him. And, you know, we can read a passage like that and get stuck in that, in that muck in the middle. But, you know, Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Do we get it wrong? Yep. But God sees our heart's desire. Yep. And if our heart's desire is right before him, you know, it's, I, I, I was talking about a, a, a progression in our relationship with, you know, it would be nice if it was like that. But sometimes it's like that. We, we, we're going to get there, but we, we have our stumbles. And that's... That's how it is. But now there is no condemnation. And we, we really need to understand that because that's what the enemy tries to, to, to come at us with. He comes at us with condemnation. Now, condemnation and conviction are, are, are from different sources. Condemnation crawled out of the pit because it's attacking you for who you are as a person and pulling you down and making you feel less than slime. Understand where that's coming from. That is condemnation from the enemy. He wants to heap that upon people and make them feel like there is no hope. I might as well just go and keep doing what I'm doing because there is no hope. I am beyond hope. I am horrible. I am a worm. That's condemnation. That's from the enemy. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. And, and conviction says, taps us on the shoulder and says, okay, this is an area that I want you to give that over to me because we can do better. We can come up higher. If you'll give that to me, <laughs> I'll replace it with something else and we can come up higher. It's the gentleness of the Holy Spirit just drawing people through conviction sometimes as opposed to the shouts of condemnation that come from the enemy. Hallelujah. <laughs> sometimes we wonder that all sounds good but are we, you know, are we ever going to get there are we going to get there well depends what are you willing to submit and just lay at the feet of Jesus what are you willing to give over is it thinking about yourself too much? Is it 
whatever. Whatever it might be. You know, in John 14, verse um, 30, Jesus was about to go to the cross and he told his disciples, oh, I, can't, I, haven't, I haven't got any more time to, to speak to you right now because the dark ruler of this world is coming. It's time. But Jesus said, but he has nothing in me. He's coming, but he has nothing in me. What he was saying is that the enemy has no influence over me. There's nothing in me that he can take a hold of and bend me away from my father's will. Do you know that's where God wants to take us? What could someone come and say to you today that would bend you out of shape? It might be a short list. It might be a long list. <laughs> you know, we want that list to be getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter to the point where you cannot say anything <laughs> <laughs> that will divert me from what God has and wants to do and wants me to be involved with, with what he's doing. You can't say a thing because I've given that to God. I died with him. I've been raised with him. And dead men don't take offence. Hallelujah. <laughs> Heavenly Father Lord I thank you for what you are producing within your people Lord I thank you that that foundation that you are producing will just stand so firm against anything that the enemy tries to bring Lord, I thank you for the stability that you are producing in your people. I thank you for the, for the fruit that's coming out of your people. And Lord, I thank you that all those things are going to be a testimony of what you can do in any life that's given to you. I thank you, Lord, that your church will testify of your goodness, your faithfulness, your love, and all the attributes that come from you. I thank you that that will be a witness that people will see and desire. I thank you that those things will lead people to you in our everyday interactions. So, Father, continue your work. Your word says that he who has begun a good work will complete it. 
So, Father, as we individually and collectively present ourselves to you, Lord, complete your work. Keep doing what you're doing. Help us, Lord, to understand the areas that we need to just, just give over to you, submit to you. And, Lord, I thank you. And, Lord, give us that, give us that thankfulness. Stir us up, Lord, to every day, every day, just thank you for who you are and for what you're producing. And Lord, in all of that, we want to give you the glory because the glory is yours. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And we're going to have communion now, so if you haven't got your cup, there's some up on the back or on the table. I don't know about you, but I'm really encouraged. That's really encouraged me. Thank you, Tim. Um, because we can't do any of it on our own. You know, we require God for every breath that we take and every song we sing and <laughs> every step we take. Um, because, you know, it, it, that, that, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, it's a really high expectation <laughs> absolutely can't do it and it's he, him that um, Jesus that is working the Holy Spirit working in our heart from the inside out um, Genesis fourteen eighteen, and this will feel like it's a total shift from what we've been talking about but um, wait till we get to the end <laughs> and you'll see it but I was, uh, uh, when I asked the Lord, um, you know, what, uh, what should I speak on for communion, um, I got Melchizedek. And I hadn't been thinking about him. And, um, and I thought, okay, well, let's have a look. So in Genesis 14, 18, um, uh, it just says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of the God Most High. And he, and he blessed him. Him was Abram, before God changed his name, um, and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. That fits in with what Marion was talking about. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And... Um, the backstory very quickly is here is because this is a whole it's a wonderful study. Um, but Abram was in a situation where um, the the kings had all got together and decided to have a war and um, in the middle of it, um, Sodom and Gomorrah was uh, taken captive. And Sodom was taken captive. And Lot was living in Sodom. And um, Lot was uh, Abram's nephew. 
And this is not the only time that Abram ever rescued Lot from the mess he was in and the love that he had for him and the love that God and mercy that God had for him too. So um, we're talking about kings, you know, with armies. And so Abram decides he's going to go out. And so what happened was rescue, uh, Lot and the people from Sodom were taken captive. And uh, Abram thought, because we don't think of Abram, Abraham as um, a warrior, do we? We think of David as a great, great leader and warrior, but you don't sort of think of Abraham as that. But um, Abraham needed to rescue Lot, so he, he went in. <laughs> and it says he took 318 trained servants with him. <laughs> and he actually defeated them and he was able to rescue these people and all their their possessions and uh, and their families and and um, bring them back home. And just after that had happened, this Melchizedek turned up. Just a minister it was a, a God encounter, and um, to Abram. And this, this actual message could be an offering teaching as well. <laughs> it's not today. Um, because it says straight away, Abram decided to give Melchizedek a, a tenth of everything. And so if you ever hear people say, well, that's the Old, uh, Old Testament law about tithing, um, this was before the law. And uh, uh, we pick it up um, in Hebrews and um, the author of Hebrews uh, um, mentions the tithing again. And so that's after the law, isn't it? So um, that's, that's just a little bit of something for free. Um, but today, uh, it says in um, Psalm 110.4, and this is David's prophecy of Jesus, and he mentions, he says... Of Jesus, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So Tim was talking about sign, um, uh, about uh, like signposts and sh types and shadows. The um, Old Testament is full of it for what um, God was going to do, the plan that he had all along to sacrifice his one and only son. And uh, so... Then we go on to Hebrews and then they talk about, um, it's a whole heap about Melchizedek, that he had no mother, no father. And um, it's sort of like a big mystery, isn't it? <laughs> but um, then, then it talks about, and I'll just read this out of the Passion, actually. Um, and this is what relates to this. So I'll just get to that. Should have prepared this before, shouldn't I? So Hebrews seven twenty seven says And, and um, so here in Hebrews, uh, the author, some people think it's Paul, uh, may have been, um, he's saying um, the law, uh, 
he, he's actually explaining the difference between the Levitical priesthood or the priesthood that the Jews, uh, that, that God's people um, had, you know, that they would go in and um, sacrifice and they had to keep doing it. And, um, and then he's, he's explaining the difference between that and then now what has happened since Jesus um, died and rose again on the cross, from the cross. And then it says uh, in verse 28, the law appointed flawed men as high priests, but God's promise sealed with his oath, sealed with his oath. So it says he couldn't swear, couldn't find anyone else to, to swear by, but himself. And so uh, there's no higher one to um, swear an oath by that, but God. So God promised, so that means he's not going to change it, but God's promise sealed with his oath, which succeeded the law, appoints a perfect son who is complete forever. <laughs> Just mind-blowing. And um, Hebrews 6, I'll read as well, because this actually... So Hebrews 6, verse 18, 19, and 20. And I'm just reading out the, the New Living Translation. Go home and read it in the, um, the whatever it is that you, that you read, uh, New King James, NIV. Um, but I, I, when I read this in the uh, um, New Living Translation... It actually made it a little bit clearer for me. And it just says, um, verse 18, sorry. So it is impossible for God to lie. That's good to know, isn't it? For we know that his promise and his vow will never change. So what he promised us will never change. The power in this will never change. It's as fresh the blood of Jesus is as fresh now as it was when he died on the cross. The power is the same. And now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. I love that. Whew. This is where we find his strength and comfort. This is where we find his strength and comfort. For he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time, an unshakable hope because of this. Because of this, because of what Jesus did, an unshakable hope. We have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat which sits in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold, where Jesus, our forerunner, has gone in before us. He is now and forever our royal priest like Melchizedek. And uh, I think the New King James says, a, uh, um, an eternal priest after, after the order of Melchizedek. And so... This, the order of Melchizedek was eternal. It wasn't just, you know, like the priests um, could do what they did until they died and then someone else had to take over until they died and then, you know, and it could only be people from the tribe of Levi. But this was, and it says somewhere else in this chapter, it was once and for all. Once 
and for all. Jesus did this once and for all. No one ever had to do it again. And, um, and here we are. He's done it for us. And so the promise is sure and it's an anchor and I love that it says here unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself holding our souls to God himself the enemy ever come along and say well you've slipped a bit too far you know God's got us and God's hanging on tight to us and uh and that it'll never be severed unless we let go. Don't ever let go. Don't ever let go. Because this is our hope. So let's just stand in honour of Jesus this morning. <laughs> His broken body... Thank you, Jesus. Let's partake of the broken body. And we thank you, Lord, that any of us standing here today that needs healing in our body, that we know that by your stripes we are healed. And as we take this communion today, we know that the promise is in this. And we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for the healing, health and healing to every person and every family that's represented in this room today. Lined up to exactly how you have um, created it to be. And the life is in the blood. And we thank you for your life. And, and just as Melchizedek came... And um, Abram was um, strengthened because of the bread and the wine. Lord, we know that this is supernatural and this is the strength for us and the cleansing of the blood for our sins and everything that we need for life and godliness. Lord, you've provided and we just thank you. So let's just partake of the, um, the juice. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So thankful. Thankful. Wow, that was a good morning in church. Um, we're just going to finish off with some of our announcements. So this week we have Playgroup on again tomorrow from 9.30 here in the church. <laughs> it's always a nice time. Uh, Tuesday night this week we have our women's night, which is at 7.30 at Rose's house. <laughs> Got a good week, Rose. <laughs> uh, Wednesday morning is our ladies' coffee catch-up, which is at 10.30 at Beechworth Bakery. Wednesday night we have our prayer meeting, which is at 7.30 here in the church. And Thursday, we have our school community prayer meeting, which is 9 o'clock in the William Room. Uh, we have one upcoming notice, which on the 28th of September, the second week of the school holidays, we have another church family dinner. So pop that one on the calendar so you don't miss that. 
Uh, oh, we also have our August monthly news, which has been printed and available on the foyer table if you don't get the email or would like a hard copy. Uh, that's all for me. Um, have a great week. Let's remember to be thankful for every moment of every day. There's so much to be thankful for. Be blessed. Have a great week.